Off the ball. This is News Talk. Right, you are very welcome to the uh, nine o'clock hour here on Friday Night's Off the Ball. Uh, I'm Jerry Gilroy. With me is Arthur James O'Dea and also Michael McCarthy. Gentlemen, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> very formal intro for us. There you go. Um, uh, have we done this on air before? About your uh, multi-barreled name? Uh, well, uh, yeah, no, uh, probably not. No, I suppose, right? Maybe in the Limerick book chat. Do you, um, are you, is this like your official formal name in to everybody? Or do you, like, do your mates call you AJ? No, like, no, it was never Arthur James. I used to call him Ajod. Ajod, yeah. In our, in our previous life. Witty. Um, <laughs> no, Ooh, it does not. Jesus. <laughs> I'm no, I know, it's just, it's just a different point of differentiation because my dad is the same name. And I, I kind of dislike the, a junior at the end of it. Oh no! I don't want that happening. Oh so no! It's easier to throw it. In. Does your mother call you Arthur James? No, no, no. that's all tone. <laughs> yeah, when you're in trouble. Like a, yeah, it's like it's very clear. You know who she's talking to. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that actually as someone that shares a name with my father. Me too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we go. Me too as well. Oh yeah, I'm Jer John, but I'm also see now I'm just Jer. But um, yeah, the and the, like when whenever I'd be being described to a third party like a. A granny or a nant or whatever, they would always. They, my full name would have been used, and so therefore they all know me as my full name. I'm like, who are you talking about? Who's that person that I don't recognise the name of? Oh, you mean me? In in my family, it was uh, it was uh, Big Michael, Small Michael, yeah, and like long a, long after I was taller than my dad, I'm <laughs> <laughs> still Small Michael. I think that's rarer than we're given that credit for. What the all three of us? It's a bit strange. It's a bit we weren't odd. planning on talking about this. I think it certainly has. Uh, it happens less these days, right? Yeah. No, I used to. I I I often would uh, tease my wife with a uh, kind of suggestion that when we had a, if we were to have a son, Michael it would McCarthy be Michael the third. the third. Yeah, and I was adamant about it. I never actually wanted to do it, but Nikki I pretended three. to her that it was important to me. And <laughs> needless to say, she was adamant that it wasn't happening so much so that I really didn't even have a choice to go ahead with the joke. Um, but yeah, we didn't go for it in the end. Did you fit it in as a middle name? Uh, no, I went for my grandfather's name as a middle name. There you go. Well, yeah. I think we did something fairly similar. Variations of a theme of the grandparents. Um, See, I think ours is a nice name. I'd be quite happy to pass it along. It'd be oh. slightly humorous, which you don't want. You don't want it. You don't want it to be. A joke. Why don't you call him Arthur James? And then it can be oh, like literally, and he has to work Ar- Ar- back. Arthur James O'Dea Junior. So I don't know. I don't know if that'll fly. Um, no, like shortening or or variation on the theme, like Art. No. Not really. It's all just kind of an Arthur. It's a point. I think it's a it's a name that's not usual enough that it kind of you don't need to do much with it. I mean, for your kid. Oh, sorry, you're sorry. Like Arty, your imaginary child. Arty, Arty. Garfunkel O D. I mean, I think that's as likely as you calling him Art as calling him Garfunkel. <laughs> be good though. <laughs> Foul. Stick out. No one's gonna, no one's gonna miss that, right? A reminder: Brayburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of Off the Ball. Every week, we give one lucky listener a hundred euro voucher to spend on some Brayburn Coffee goodness at an Apple Green store near you. Very easy to enter this competition. All you got to do is check out at Off the Ball on Twitter, like and retweet our Brayburn competition post, and you'll be in the draw. New Brayburn locations are popping up every month. Visit applegreenstores.com forward slash Brayburn to find your nearest Brayburn Coffee experience. Uh, obviously, we're talking rugby at the start here. Going to bring you some of the best stuff from during the week. If you missed um, 
James Tracy or you missed Ronald O'Gara or you missed Alan Quinlan on OTBAM during the week or Derek McNamara going through the, the numbers you get all those podcasts on the OTB rugby stream here is some Grace David and Keith Wood goodness where Keith says the injuries to some frontline players will provide opportunities for those on the fringes of the squad you don't like the fact that guys are injured but the injuries have given an opportunity for other players to show what what's what it's worth so i think we seem to be building our strength in depth a lot during this competition by not changing too much and i know that sounds kind of slightly counterintuitive but there was three or four injuries at the start and we're now beginning to get strength in depth in those positions. And so I'm delighted to see Casey starting at nine. Um, I think he's the best passer in the group. Um, uh, I want him to play the way he started playing a couple of years ago. Um, I thought he did that for the most part when he came off the bench last, uh, well, two weeks ago. Um, And I just think we're getting to see players playing in combination. So it's very rare that we change a nine and 10 and that has injury enforced inside that. I think Casey would have started anyway, um, but Ross Byrne gets his chance as well. So it's, I, like, I'm, I just, I like it. I like the, the, the match two weeks ago was best game of rugby I've ever seen Ireland play and, mm. and we make six changes. So, you know, when did that really happen in our past up for a competitive match? So I like it. Uh, are we past the stage Grace of thinking about this as a potential banana skin like it's 10 years uh, not just since Italy beat Ireland but Italy have actually won a home game in the Six Nations as Keith said like the the Irish performance last time out is as good as it gets like this isn't the isn't the match we're going into thinking about winning it's 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 a matter of how much yeah it is but I think what Andy Farrell will be looking for is that performance we've seen like brilliant cohesiveness with the likes of Bielham coming in and we're all like oh Tyg Furlong's missing what are we going to do and Bielham has stepped up and you know as Keith Woods said there like you know with the changes but Tom O'Toole you know Keane Healy's available Tom O'Toole is still on that bench which is really good to see that and I think the performance is going to be key, the cohesiveness of all the changes. He'll be expecting the exact same standards. Yeah, if you missed it earlier, Gary Ringrose is out, which means McCluskey comes up from the bench to start. Uh, so that's like the longest run he's ever had uh, playing mm. for Ireland. Um, that has that has quelled the Ulster fans and their conspiracy theories, but the Munster fans and their conspiracy theories were out in full bore this week because Spock, uh, Scott Penny got called up to hold some tackle bags and they wanted to make sure that it was a Munster man holding the tackle bags as opposed to a Leinster man. Yeah, look, I think that uh, there's Oof. there's there's tiresome fans on all sides in this particular. No, uh, no, not all sides. <laughs> it is all no, sides. No, it's, not. it's everybody. It is everybody. <laughs> it's constant. I mean, everybody wanted good people, good quality a lot, people. A lot there. of people wanted a lot of people dropped. Want to make Munster after great again? Ireland beat France easily <laughs> to end a 15 game winning streak. Apparently, there was certain non Lancer players who didn't really pull their weight. Here. Who? Yeah, Peter Matney. I, I saw in a lot of places. Yeah. Well, he got taken off after 50, 55 minutes. But if you listened to our piece uh, two weeks ago, he had like one of his greatest ever games for us in the first game against Wales. So, like, yeah. but also did like I mean, and not to be the whole unseen work thing, but like I mean, even Santiago, like, Jamie Heaslip even pointed out at halftime, he he is like, you know, an incredible rook player in but, a way that generally people don't see, and I don't, well, but I'm told by okay. people who understand the game. <laughs> Here's the thing: it's it's not actually unseen anymore. In that they literally have people whose job it is to yeah. track the numbers and go, well, he hit this number of rooks and he did it in a high quality way at X percent of the time, and that's better than anybody else is doing in this position in the rest of the championship and for their respective provinces so like yeah. the, the whole notion of stuff being unseen anymore in rugby I suppose unseen to just like 
Joe Soap watching on TV. Uh, Conor Murray got, a, I think, a little bit, little bit of, I think criticism is probably too strong a word, but a kind of... Uh, Did he? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Again, it's just it's just sort of the what I, what I mean is the same back. Munster fans who you're moaning about exist on the Leinster side as they do in Ulster and as they do in Connacht, and it's just it's I I always find it boring at this time of year because surely you care about the Ireland team more than you care about the provincial team, you know. But anyway, that's another point for another day. Legendary commentator John Motson passed away this week at the age of seventy-seven. In a career that spanned five decades, he provided the soundtrack for twenty-nine FA Cup finals and worked at ten World Cups and ten European Championships. His former BBC colleague Conor McNamara joined Nathan to talk about the man behind the microphone last night. First, here are some of Motti's best commentary moments. Forward it goes again. Quinn heads on. Oh, surely this time for Keane. game came along of course you know Ronnie Radford and all that and, and I got that match got elevated to the top of the show at a time when I should have been right down at the bottom really no if Ronnie Radford shot had hit the bar and come out I wouldn't be sitting here now Radford again oh what a goal what a goal Radford the scorer Ronnie Radford and the crowd the crowd are invading the pitch oh Brady won it beautifully decent voice, uh, you've got to have a sense of timing, you've got to know when to talk and when not to talk and I think you've got to try and get across essentially what the viewer can't experience at home which is the excitement in the crowd, uh, something that you might spot, you know, which the cameras are just about to reach that still hasn't become apparent. You are the eyes and the ears of the viewer. Going at them again, brilliant run by Maradona, fantastic goal, unbelievable. Yeah, the unmistakable voice of John Motson, who passed away today at the age of 77. To remember John Motson, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by his former BBC colleague, Conor McNamara. Good evening, Conor. Hey, Nathan, how are you? I'm very well. Uh, listening to all those moments uh, bring back so many different memories and you can visualise almost where you were sitting watching each match as you hear the commentary for John Motson. He was just such a ubiquitous figure in our lives for so many years, for so many important moments, probably for so many people, moments they spent with their family, with their friends. He was right there in the living room with them. 
Yeah, it, it, the voice, isn't it? And the way he was able to inject ins- excitement into the voice and yet he never got too excited. You could always hear every word, which is the sort of key because you think of the incredibly dramatic moments he, he was involved in and he was to describe, but he never, you know, it never became a, you know, a screech of a commentary. It was always in control. You could always hear every syllable. And uh, yeah, I mean, he, 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 I guess, you know, he, he sort of is the football commentator. I think if you went to any cartoonist in the world and you said, draw me a little drawing there of what a, a football commentator looks like they draw Motti wouldn't they that's mm. that, that's sort of what it that, that, that's what a commentator looks like and, and his voice is what a commentator sounds like It's Conor McNamara in conversation with Nathan last night about John Motson and I know that they've got Mark Lawrence uh, in the can for tomorrow great photographs of uh, Lawrence and Motti at various games they would have done loads of games together and um, I, so I, I didn't really have BBC growing up as a kid so did you know no like it was a much later in life get to college and start watching um, Match of the Day but uh, obviously a very distinctive immediately recognisable timbre to the voice pattern of speaking I'd say it was the voice of a football commentator in like a like a lot of people's heads would be your first go to you score a goal in the back garden you're almost doing it and do you ever hear like do you ever hear Irish people when they do kind of like fake commentary they sort of do it in an English accent I think that sort of comes from John Matson, at least from a certain generation at least yeah. from our gener- my generation my generation sensible anyway. soccer as well mm, the voice of one of the computer games he was the initial FIFA, FIFA oh that's yeah. the one yeah. it's so a that's, goal that's, yeah. <laughs> on FIFA 96 yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's all the that's where I've heard him yeah. first it's a goal throw in yeah. <laughs> there was like six things he said <laughs> oh there was only about yeah. six things yeah uh, but yeah I don't know I, 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 I spent mo- mostly yesterday looking through clips for that uh, that that pack that you heard at the start there and Jesus like I mean he actually was he was one of those guys that I think a lot of people listened a lot of people did prefer Barry Davis right and I think Barry Davis is one of the best football commentators if not the best of all time and there was that rivalry between them and because of that I think and because the fact that Motson definitely lost a step in his later years and was probably he wasn't the commentator he was I had forgotten that he wasn't just a great voice. He was actually a brilliant commentator. He was a brilliant man in the moment. The Steven Gerrard FA Cup um, clip that was in there, you know, the last minute goal in the in the in, against West Ham was brilliant because it was just uh, it was the bit in the middle almost. It was he almost lost his composure because it was so out of nowhere and so last minute. That's it, and then immediately went back to the story. There's a bit in there about the the 1988. Um, cup final where he kind of like he had done his conversation with Dave Besant he knew what way Dave Besant was going to dive right. and he knew that Aldridge had done that in the semi-final he said if he, if he does what he did in the semi-final Besant is going that way he did he did his homework and it worked out and it's just like but he did all of that without like in the time it took you know he, he knew the timing of being ready to go for the kick you know, I just that, that was just again. That's just I As think an understated, like brilliant piece of commentary. Other commentators who have a, a pre-organized. Uh, I have this rap I'm going to get off before the throw-in, and then there's like the first score is over, and the rap is still going. <laughs> is that who you're talking about? I don't know. I don't know if you're talking about the 2017 uh, Galway uh, Waterford Dollar and Hurling final there, but I I, I don't know. know who you're talking about now. Right. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> uh, In Cancun. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Um, the OTB football feed very busy this week right uh, Nathan had a great sit down with the former Leeds boss Brian McDermott um, who talks about breaking through alongside Liam Brady at Arsenal and why he felt like a traitor to Ireland after playing a youth international for England it's um, 
and it was a 45 minutes worth of yeah yeah they're there but really excellent stuff and uh, he's just a very interesting character he talks about his alcoholism and just the ego of being a manager and how that was like self-defeating in some ways um and then there's just uh, an incredible spate of characters who he brings to life yeah. over the course of that so uh, make sure you listen to that in the football feed as well. But after the break, we're going to bring you the other brilliant piece that we did this week, or at least 15 minutes of it. Uh, it's the former Meath star turned author, journalist and publisher, Liam Hayes, on coping with grief. Right, you're very welcome back. Now, the former Meath captain, Liam Hayes, says that he's still damaged by his brother Jared's suicide 40 years ago, but admits that he can't talk to his family about it. He came into studio and sat down with Joe Malloy for an hour and 10 minutes of an absolutely stunning interview where uh, he opened up about um, his brother's death by suicide and also still how even to this day, he can't really properly engage with his mum when he talks to her about the tragedy. It's like a physical thing, like you just can't engage, you know what I mean? Um, Leave the room? No, I would just end the conversation. I wouldn't give anything back. She would get nothing back from me. And she would know what after about 60 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. And where, so that, your mum, I mean, strength of character there to, for her to revisit it and talk about it oh she's great but she does that all the time Joe. I mean we, she's a book at home call her her, her her sad book where she has worked with two three hundred families all over Ireland she's, she um, uh, she mentors them and, and helps them and they come to her and she travels to them so she's done that for the last 30-40 years is she qualified or just I've been there I've done it no, talk no. to me and there's about there literally is about two three hundred families in her, her sad book as we call them yeah, what a legacy. And like suicide is such an you know it's, it's epidemic levels always has been still is um, uh, and people generally don't talk about it too much um, but so they would come to her because she has been you know had been very outspoken about it and had you know had had been a lot of programs about it so people would know of her. Yes. What do you suspect was going on with your late father during those years where your mother is is almost cancelling anyone who needs it and, and your father can't mention the name to his... Yeah, he would be supportive of her but he wouldn't want to talk about it himself you know, and certainly not to me and I certainly wouldn't want to talk to him. I mean, you know, he would travel to screen matches, our club matches, you know, I, you know, I was living at home as one of those Irish guys. I lived at home till I got married at 28 so I was living at home most of my career. Right. My dad would go to most matches with me and, uh, you know, we, we would never talk about that. But I think it's like, it's, it's, it's like something... Um, when you like the football field in, in screen where Jared died is about 400 yards from our house so it was our playground we would be there every day of our lives uh, and um, so by road it's about 400 yards or you can go to the bottom of our of our, our garden at home at screen and you can go across the field which the journey Jared took that night when he took his life um, and you can reach the football field by about 200 yard dash right um, so like for me at this at, at that stage when Jared died in '83, uh, this is Bo- Sean Boylan is just coming into the Mead setup. Mead aren't likely to win anything. I spoke to you a moment about like there was no thought of even beating Dubliner. We'd lost the previous first round, the previous three Leinster championships, so Mead were at zero. Mm. Um, so, but for me, it was about screen. It was about the football pitch. It was about the blue jersey of screen. Um, so, I mean, I had a decision to make. You know, was I going to go back to that field? Um, to play for screen, to train for screen, um, uh, and that's what I decided I had to do. So I mean, I did that for ten years, you know, on dark nights and bad nights and windy, rainy nights, the same sort of night in which I would have found Jared in that field. But I made the decision that I had to. Um, I think I made the decision I had to literally um, 
but what happened in in a in a box and and, and close literally close it and lock it and put it away because I had to physically like in rural Ireland at that stage and and uh, particularly you know in the eighties there was no money in the country you know you, there wasn't a lot uh, and if you were playing football and enjoying your football in rural Ireland then or hurling and that was your life so um, very hard to walk away from it uh, no matter what happened so I decided you know I, I have to be here so to do that. I'm being an amateur psychologist now. Um, to do that, I think you have to really lock something away. Yeah. And um, and, uh, and and I'm guessing that's what I did, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's the irony of all ironies that you, you try and box it away, and then you're confronted with it several times a week at that pitch. Yeah. I mean, it was in, it was lucky in the second half of my career with the Mead uh, when Mead started being successful. You know, Mead consumed like 80-90% of my career then so you know, you'd be training with Mead, playing with Mead and you'd only play with your club for a, a yeah. tiny amount of time so you'd only be back in the in the pitch in that environment um, you know, for about a month or two yes. every year but in the immediate uh, years after Jared died you were down there um, you know, two or three times a week and you were playing games and you know, attacking that goal or defending that same goal and so you had to lock it away otherwise you, you, know, you physically wouldn't be able to um, you wouldn't be able to do it, you know what I mean? Mm. So, have you, I mean, it's 40 years now that you say 83, mm. Mm. 23. You haven't, by the sense of things, cultivated a, a private or spiritual relationship with him. Talk to him. No, no. Uh, no, I haven't. And um, it's, it's, um, and it's strange because after my career ended, I stopped going to, obviously I stopped going to to screen football pitch. I mean, I've never been back there in 20, 30 years. Um, and we'll never, you know, it's not where I, I, I plan to go back. Yeah. Uh, I brought my David, my young, my eldest son, a couple of times down there when he was a young kid uh, to, to kick the ball around. But I've never gone back for matches or events or, you know, functions. Um, so that's quite obviously, I'm just not going to go back there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's something you've locked away. You've, you've brought yourself far away from it. You've locked things away. Um, like Jared left a lot of diaries. I've said this before, he left a lot of diaries uh, and I've never visited them. I've never taken them up. Uh, I was admonished in one interview once when I said that, that, for, you know, well, you know, why don't you? You should do that. Um, um, why haven't you? I've never felt the need to. I've never felt the need to. I think it's going to, uh, I'm going to read things I'm not going to want to, I'm not going to want to read. Um, About his am I scared? Am I cowardly? Probably a little bit. Um Am I unfair to him? Definitely. Um, uh, I know if I took my own life and I left writings, I'd imagine I'd be, you know, you'd want people to read them. Um, but uh, it's not something that I ever felt uh, I, I I could do or wanted to do. As in your, um, <clears throat> and by the way, don't answer any, any of these questions if you don't want to. They're no. unbelievably personal. Are you terrified you'll read of his sadness or his depression or his rationale behind his... Yeah, I, m- mainly I think, um, you know, I think I'm not, I'm not talking across the board here I mean people have taken their own lives for all sorts of reasons so mm-hmm. I'm talking about Jared yeah. so I'm not looking to to um, to insult or to Generalize. be unfair to yeah. other families yeah. who have lost loved ones by suicide okay I'm talking about Jared's case in, in my view you know Jared obviously was disturbed uh, he obviously he was suffering you know severe mental health issues in my view um, my mother and others in my family mightn't agree with that that's my view and um um, it wasn't quite obvious to us. Uh, it never is with a suicide in, in, in a lot of cases. Um, if we had read his his diaries at the time, maybe we would have learned a lot. 
Um, but I think that's what the diaries will bring me. They'll bring me to places where I think I'm reading my brother writing in a disturbed manner about life in general and about his life. And um, I mean, I'm aware of what's in them. I mean, I, I, I um, you know, uh, I've never read them, but I, I was, I was, I was present when somebody was reading something in them once, and it was something like three months before he died. He was saying, "I still can't believe I haven't." You know, I'm still here. That this type of thing. So, you know, it's not something that um, uh, it's not something I can I can ever see myself wanting to read. Yeah, because I, I think you know your own brother. Like we shared the same bedroom together for twenty years, uh, and um, you know, two twin, twin twin beds in a in a small room in rural Ireland. So, you know, we knew each other very well. We played football three or four hours a day every day together. He was four years older than me, mm. so normally I lost, but. Um, um, but uh, we played every day together, so you know I knew him. I knew I know the brother I had. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I have fantastic memories of him. Um, you know when you know when I was a kid and you know needed protection at times, and he wasn't a great protector because he was sort of sort of individual uh, in 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 his own way within the family. Um, but you know he was a he was a big brother, and he was a, he was a good brother. Um, and he was there for me when I needed him, so I don't need to go back and find out, you know, you know what was happening. Yes, uh, maybe in the years before he died. Did you suspect there was trouble in the years before he died? No, not at all. Not at all. No. Um, but, uh, but funny. I mean, strange. You know, when he went missing that Sunday night, um, he went missing around eight or nine o'clock. When I say missing, like in rural Ireland, we we were a non-drinking family. My, you know, my parents are pioneers, so we would never be in the pub. Um, you know, I went through my whole career without drinking, obviously. Mm. Uh, so it was easy for me to be a meat footballer. <laughs> I was one of the few. Um, so, you, you know, you weren't going to be many places in rural Ireland if you went, you know, where were you? You know, where, where is he? So within, within a half an hour, an hour, we knew there was a problem. We yeah. knew something was wrong. You know what I mean? And then five, six hours later, we found his body. But we instantly knew. So it was like something was there. Like, you know, maybe, maybe you know, you felt, maybe you felt more than you, that you, than you were aware of. Interesting. Mm. Your first thought was he might have self-harmed as opposed to traffic accident, you mean? Yeah, he didn't drive. He wouldn't have been anywhere, you know. Yeah, I mean, Jared was a, a bit of a loner. He didn't have, he didn't have, um, you know, he didn't have many or any friends in, uh, in screen. He played football, uh, but he wasn't pally with anybody. He wouldn't have been in anyone's house. Yeah. Mm. Family, very difficult to talk about it mm. with mm. journalists. Yes, yeah, that's the terrible thing uh, about it. Yeah, friends, teammates, like who have you talked to about it away from? Nobody, no, only journalists would ever ask me about it. Teammates would never would never talk about it. Never did talk about it. I mean, Sean Boylan brought the team down to screen down to our parish to to train on one occasion before one all Ireland or something. One night he brought the lads. I don't know why he did. It. He brought the whole team to screen, and uh, at the end of the session, I went up to him and said, "Listen, you should never do that again." You know what I mean? Don't never bring the lads here because they weren't part of my life. Yes. They weren't part of that. It was a screen thing. The screen lads, the screen team, uh, were part of that. Not the mead lads. And to have the mead lads on the on the pitch and screen uh, was awful. It really was like head spinning for me. Um, they were they were invading my life. Mm. You know what I mean? And almost it sounds like mead is your refuge and never the twins yeah, shall meet. Yeah, I'm not sure, Joe. It was something like that. They shouldn't have been there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That type of thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's funny because. <laughs> the advice to everyone is to talk about it as much as possible and yeah. you've, you've taken a different route and I'm not a professional I don't know what the right route is mm. are you 
do you have regrets that you've taken the route you've taken? Has it affected your life in a negative way or, or do you feel it's so awful and traumatic that you're content enough not to have had to delve into it? Yeah, no, I am. I'm, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very content with my, with my decisions. And that's not, I mean, once you experience, and this I'm speaking for anybody who's been through, um, I think a, a, a violent, the loss of somebody in a violent way, right? Yeah. Uh, whether it's a suicide or a murder or whatever, you're, you're, you're far more aware of the vulnerability of people. Um, and so you're always thinking of, of suicide. I mean, you're, every day you're thinking of suicide, you're thinking of, of your own vulnerabilities, uh, you know, your own mental health. Mm. You're, you're always conscious of that. You know, would you know? Would you ever do that? You know, to, to your loved ones? How would you? you know, how did? So you never would. So you're always aware. You're always thinking. You're always aware of the more of your own immediate family uh, and watching them. Uh, um, it's it's suppermost in your mind. I mean, it's it's there all the time. You know what I mean? And that's the same for every family who has suffered. Like you, you're aware all the time of um, you know everyone around you and and how they're doing. And uh, and it's a fear. It's a fear you live with all the time. Especially for younger people in your family, because you know suicide claims young and old, um, but it claims a you know terrifyingly number of, of young people yeah. who I don't know. I always think it's more tragic than older people. Uh, you know, they they just don't know um, something can happen, something can flick a switch. It's not the end of the world. It's not a you know it's, it's not the end of their life. It's not defining. But young people. Um, uh, taking their own life is is just is just the ultimate tragedy. Mm. It was Liam Hayes in studio with Joe during the week? Massive response to that, obviously. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised there, please do reach out. Um, we put the number for the Samaritans up on our uh, Twitter account the other day. And um, if anybody does need any help with that, then that's the place to go. It was uh, it was a remarkable piece, actually. I think Liam said a couple of times in it. God, I I don't mind talking about this. I wasn't expecting to be talking about it for half an hour, almost as a joke, you know, but. I suppose neither was Joe, neither were we. You know, it was one of those that was it was going to come up as part of a conversation about his his life and his career. But it was I just thought it was a remarkable, remarkable conversation. As you mentioned, it was an hour and ten minutes that, that certainly wasn't planned to be. I think we had to I had to cut it to like I think maybe forty seven minutes for for a radio, and even then. You know that was a tough thing to do. You shouldn't. It shouldn't be tough to not to you know need more from forty seven minutes. And even there, you kind of heard fifteen. Like you know, you definitely get a flavour of it, and it's good. But if I was to, I don't often say this. Like we're always promoting our stuff. We're always saying go and listen to it. But if I was to say to go and listen to a full piece of anything that we've done, um, I think it's on the. It's obviously on the off the ball GA feed. I would couldn't recommend it enough. I think it's just one of those conversations that you'll get absolutely lost in and. Yeah, it was just incredible stuff, Arthur. Obviously, you know Liam pretty well. I and I know him a bit, yeah. Like, but it was still, and I've heard a few him speaking a few different times over the years. Um, it was just it's it's amazing coming from this perspective because it's just genuinely it's it's like it's like an event, it's like a blockbuster thing when you're in here and you're like you we, so everything else in the week and we know it's coming and it's teed up for the Tuesday and you're talking to him beforehand and it's all set up and then it's almost like he comes in here with Joe the door closed and you're just sat out there watching it. And you're like, my God, it's like it, it like it takes whatever they're into it a few minutes. and You're like, right, this is you already know about 10 minutes in like this is brilliant. <laughs> and there's another hour left of it. You, even you don't know it and it's just developing in front of you. Um, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't happen all the time. Like things like that. They are one. I suppose they're brilliant because of their rarity. Um, 
but it was, it was astonishing. It was astonishing listening, really. Make sure you dig it out on the OTV GA football feed, or GA feed as well, on podcast. Uh, up next, the football pod talking about Ross Common's ambitions for the season. Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne talk about Ireland's issues in attack five months out from the World Cup. You're very welcome back. Former Ireland internationals Karen Duggan and Emma Byrne are now teammates, of course, on the Koi Gig pod alongside Kathleen McNamee. They were talking uh, after our nil-all draw against China during the week when they felt that Vera Pau's side were a bit sloppy in possession. Aoife Mannion and Deborah-Anne Della Harp, also known as the law firm, uh, both started on the debuts while US-born Marissa Shiva came off the bench to earn her first cap in the nil-all draw. Five months out for the World Cup, the Koi Gig pod talked about Ireland's lack of imagination in attack after the game. We're good at getting results again. You look at the fact that they're a team that are ranked higher than us and we got a result, clean sheet. Um, so they're the positives you can take. I think in possession, we were sloppy at times. Um, body language in the first half didn't look especially good when we were going forward um, in certain areas. I still think that the way the team is laid out um, could be a little bit better. I prefer Megan Connolly in midfield, to be honest. And I think when Nifahi comes back in, that that needs to happen. Um, and then to free up Denise to to be more in the pocket, I think that they need to go for kind of a square in midfield there and allow Katie and Denise to kind of roam in between the lines a bit more. Katie and Denise weren't massively... Well, like they were in the game, but they weren't their sort of normal, absolute domination. And Katie, in particular, even though she was playing up that bit higher, which I know Emma is something you always like to see, she just was kind of struggling to get on the ball a little bit. Yeah, I'm gonna be a complete hypocrite here because, um, I mean, there there are lots of positives I think we can take out of it. Um, as you said, Carol, clean sheet, which is a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Um. I think some players can definitely be, um, you know, they they came out on top. Like, for example, a new new player, Aoife Mannion. I thought she was excellent and I think she's going to be a really, really good and important player for us. Um, But just regarding uh, Katie, for me, she was too high, she was too wide, she was too out of it. And... um, I was like talking with some, some of my friends here and we were saying, like, if Katie could come into midfield and have a four in midfield, I know we're slightly obsessed with playing that three, five, whatever it is. Yeah. I think it's a five at the back. We play five when we're defending anyway, that's for sure. Um, but because the two wide players, as in uh, uh, Megan and Campbell, and um, De La Harp was in the first half because the, the, those two wide players, they weren't really contributing to the midfield. They weren't really contributing to the game as in getting forward. They were pushing high when the ball started with Brosnan, but we weren't getting them on the ball and we weren't looking to get them on the ball. So for me, it's pointless. I totally agree with Karen when she says play this, the box in midfield, play four in midfield, whatever yeah, way you want to play it, put four in midfield. Yeah, because when we do get the ball in wide areas, it tends to be Heather Payne pulling off wide um, or Megan Campbell getting down the line. And you can still have those two players doing that. But if you have Katie and Denise in that box in midfield, they can also support that and get involved in midfield play and kind of demand the ball. Um, Yeah, I just felt like it was just long ball city today and it just didn't suit us. I mean, Chinese were faster than us and they had so much time to read the ball because again in the first half in particular we dropped so deep like I I understand a low block 
but that it was a low block. Like there was times where it was, <laughs> was like, low. it was so low. Like it, there was times where it was um, four V one and we didn't step in with the, the Chinese striker. Um, and that's something that Nifahi did brilliantly against Scotland was, okay, we have three centre-backs, we can afford to step in here so that we're not dragging back another midfielder. And then when we do win the ball, we might have an outlet. And I just felt like we lacked that outlet, particularly in the first half. I think we pushed a little bit higher in the second half um, and we went in with the strikers a little bit better, but um, we can't afford to give them the space. I think we afforded them in the first 20 minutes in particular if they had players of the likes of your Australian, your Sam Kerr's, your your rewards, people who are going to take on or forward, people who are going to take on shots from distance, it, it could cause more troubles than what we saw today. The Koi Gig Pod is available now in the Off The Ball football stream wherever you get your podcasts. It's in association with Cadbury FC, the official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team and that was uh, Karen Duggan, Emma Byrne and Kathleen McNamee in conversation there. These friendlies don't matter, right? I'm making the argument for making it all week. doesn't matter. No. Like they're, they're training games all we need to no do is make there. sure no one gets injured Mannion being a good centre back for Ireland bonus oh yeah the more time they spend together and everything like that is, is, is what's needed right now like I mean I went to all the you know it's a different time of year or whatever but I remember going to all the warm ups for the 2002 World Cup in Lansdowne it was atmosphere and it was everything else but like who do we play? Played Nigeria, played Denmark when the infamous game. Oh, Peter Lovencrans got booed. Uh, yeah, except it was your man Madsen, whatever. But uh, <laughs> I have a different perspective on that than everybody else. But anyway, that's another another story for another day. Okay, go on. Uh, and just I don't remember what even there was probably another one, but it was all it wasn't. It didn't matter what we were doing or what Ireland were doing. It was about like yeah. the team spending yeah. as much time together as they possibly could as they gel and find new players, especially in the, in in the, in. Obviously, that wasn't the case of the men's, but in the in the women's, that's the issue, you know. Yeah, as they were ninety four World Cup qualifiers actually for or the ninety four warm ups. That was where McIntyre and Gary Kelly, uh, Bab, and all them came into the team, and actually that was really. Well, Stephen Reid came in in, in O two as yeah. well, and should really have started. But um, the thing about the ninety four one was that he completely changed his playing style in between qualifying and went to five midfield and put Tommy Coyne up front. We're not seeing that from Vera. What we're seeing is that she's trying. Uh, to put Katie McCabe further up the field and it's not working at the moment. So that was like, you asked for this, I tried it, it's not working, she's our best left back. And um, uh, yeah, and also I think that like uh, a few of them will be much better by the time the World Cup rolls around because like everything depends on it. Their entire life has been building to this point. So anyway, let's move on. Paddy Andrews thinks Kerry will have learned a lot in their defeat to Mayo in the Football League last weekend. This is from the latest episode of the Football Pod which is available every Monday night throughout the season. Just search for the Football Pod feed and subscribe. So it's Paddy Andrews, James Donoghue and Tommy Rooney. Uh, it was In the end, it was only a seven-point defeat but it was a first-half paddling from Mayo against Kerry in Castle Bar. Uh, Paddy Andrews thinks the result reflects the current conditioning of both sides. They've done a lot of work. You can see that. You can see it, you always get that sense in the first couple of league games. They've definitely done more than Kerry. We said this. Kerry were going to be slow through the National League. This is not a surprise. I, I, you kind of backed that Mayo would win that game in Castlebar. Probably not as convincingly as they did. Um, but th- this is the thing with the way the season has gone. And we spoke with this in previous pods, myself and Jimmy, that there was times, certainly with Dublin, that we do a real block of championship training after the league, that you get get into it in April or May as you lead into the provincial championships. But that, the sense of, like Mayo have a massive, we said it last year, a game against um, Galway and Castle Barn, the first game of the Connacht Championship, could make or break their season. And it ended up breaking their season, that they were beaten at Castle Barn. They never really recovered from that. 
Um, whereas if you look now, teams are flying it, but they're straight into championship. So, so the time, the, the window you used to have of kind of timing your run a little bit later in the season, it is new. It is new. The teams are flying fit at this stage of the season, and they can nearly go the whole way through to an All Ireland final in July. And the hope that they don't burn out. But if you're in the Mayo dressing room, you're Kevin McStay, you've got to be looking going, okay, we want to go to the league campaign. But we have to be ready for this, basically the second week of April. It's a massive championship. I mean, you look at Ross Common, what Davy Burke is doing there. Both teams seem to be in that space, that headspace where they yeah. are, they're not blowing teams away. They do look very, very sharp for what is still the second, coming into the third week of February. But it, it was a bit of a contrast because I would say out of all the teams in Division 1, Kerry probably had the least done and Mayo are probably at the, the other end of the scale as well. But look, it was an impressive win and we said, and James was saying this about Mayo, you were looking, what did McStay want to get? He needs more scores. He needs more depth. And Jordan Flynn, I'm not, I'm not saying he's going to be shooting the lights out every week, but they do need depth and not to be just relying on Ryan O'Donoghue and Killian O'Connor to kick freeze that's not going to be enough to win the biggest game so I'm sure the impact Aidan O'Shea is having is positive we spoke about that last week but someone like Jordan Flynn coming up from the half forward line or coming from deep in midfield and kicking four points from play it was music to the ears for, for Kevin McStay after patchy performances in both their games against Galway and against Armagh that was a, as a completed performance and yeah maybe conditioning plays a part in it but I'm sure Kerry will learn a hell of a lot from that game as well. The Football Pod brought to you by AIB, proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Club Hurling, Camogie and Football Championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Um, Don't tell me it matters. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Uh, it doesn't matter. It might matter to Mayo. It might give them a bit of cat- a catalyst to kick on, but Kerry aren't going to give a rat's ass about that. Unless Jack O'Connor <laughs> wants them to, in which case like he wants to use it as a kick up the arse. Well, at the same time, right, this is the first year we've had the condensed season and the round robin. Mm. No one's ever had to plan for that before. So it's possible that somebody gets stuff wrong and it's possible that one of the big teams might get stuff wrong. They might pick too early, they might pick too late and I think that there's an opportunity this year for a Derry, for a Galway, for an Armagh to go on a run and take them all the way. That's yeah. a, that's my half-baked theory. I'm working on it. It's not perfect. But the all, but I, I agree with you. I don't even think that it, it applies for everyone else but I think it all it does apply for the All-Ireland champions for whom a league isn't important for especially an establishment team especially for like a Dublin or Kerry that are coming as All-Ireland champions they're going to be a little a few weeks behind they're also going into a Munster Championships as a joke in the meantime before you, they get into so like okay. they have so much more time to okay, prepare I, I, yeah. well I get that right but uh, and the Munster Championship actually matters less because Kerry are Division 1 team it might matter more to Cork if they were to have a really bad Division 2 for example they need to get to the final to make yeah. sure they're in Sam McGuire but is it a coincidence that every time Jack O'Connor wins in All-Ireland he does really really well in the league beforehand is it just a coincidence or is there like malice aforethought with his approach to the league no I don't know actually I was trying to think that, that has he ever retained the All-Ireland because again it is just like it's. I just think it's a different thing coming Pat O'Shea into the league came in yeah after. that's in the 07 yeah, yeah. so I think it's just a different um, I don't know what you think but like I, I do think it's a, it, it the one thing I would argue during your holiday and all that stuff everything is different in, this, in the it, autumn and winter and it's, it's more different because the uh, the junior All-Ireland Club champions and the intermediate All-Ireland yeah. Club champions uh, both had significant important yeah. players who went from that had a couple of weeks off and are now straight into the league so um, I, I, look 
Yeah. That that might matter though, long term. It, it know, absolutely. In a different way, all, like, yeah. like and uh, because this year the All Ireland will be done by the August Bank Holiday weekend. That's all I'm saying. That if you f- if you get in a funk, or if you get your strength and conditioning wrong, you know. Well, it's, it's interesting to me that because I assume that's why, from saying the hurling perspective, of Limerick quite there a bit further on this year than they were last year, because obviously the final was in July. They did whatever else they did in between, but more or less, I imagine everyone's probably coming into the hurling at a similar well, starting point, and that's probably why they're a little bit because, like, I know people talk this year about God, and you were saying to Anthony Nash, like, what if Galway thing, like, Galway hammered Limerick last year in the league, Cork hammered Limerick last year in the league, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't amount to anything, but it, now it's a case of they lost by one point to Cork and they hammered Clare, whereas last year they drew with Clare. Yeah, I think. Um I'm just not sure. We found out afterwards that Limerick just trained through all that. And I think like there's a sense that maybe what Kerry were doing last week was training three days yeah. in a row. Somebody actually said, as a matter of fact, Brian Sheehan, I think, during the week said, as a matter of fact, that they had been training three days in a row before that game. Now, I don't know if that's like fact, fact, or if it's like I heard that thing and it's, it, you know. Seems old school, doesn't it? Seems um, Lucknan-esque. But I think it's because they feel like they're behind, you know. And like, here's the thing. You have Clifford and O'Shea and Clifford, and now you might have... Donald Down as well to add into the mix. So you'll be okay to a certain level, but it's that like final 10, 15 minutes. Did you get the work into your legs that gives everybody the confidence? And so we're just looking for those patterns. That's all. Are there many teams though that can beat Kerry? Yeah, I think the Kerry aren't as far ahead as like I, as I, Dublin were, sorry, for example. I, yeah, and I don't mean I don't mean like Dublin could be Kerry, you know, Mayo could be Kerry, that kind of thing I mean. But up until the point oh, that right. they get into a all Ireland semi final like you you basically w- they won't get knocked out of the worst case scenario, I think we were looking this up in the week, worst case scenario they'd have ten games in the championship to win all to win in all Ireland. But uh, there's no hope they get knocked out in the round round. Not a chance. No, exactly. So that's so, so they might not have the first proper serious Jeopardy game until the quarter final or there'll be one Jeopardy game in that really, which is the first one, you know, just to make sure that you're actually yeah. totally fine. But the first one could be against a, it could be against Westmead, you know. In Sligo, uh, it could be against Westmead. They could have Westmead and Sligo in their group, couldn't they? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether the things work on it. But I, I have yet to get my head fully around it. I have to be honest. It's just it's good fun. I must actually figure it out next week. And they wouldn't want that though. I think no, they'll I want the so. game. That, you know, um, they'll want. Yeah, it. but they could like you know. I still try Common or someone as well, like you know, they, they like prob- that. So I, my my half baked theory is based around Ross Common going on a run and still being in form come All Ireland quarter final day and being able to give their fill of it to a good team. Now their fill of it means they might lose in the last ten minutes, but I don't think if Ross Common were to win every game between now and then, which would include a league final against whoever doesn't want to win, right? And then they were to go on and win Connacht, like I mean that's a they'll have beaten Mayo Mayo Galway which are en route Gal- to that yeah, so like, like, yeah they've done it before like, yeah, yeah well and Galway will have to beat the other two as well to do that no no sure well, no sure Gal- Mayo Galway, Galway, Mayo Galway, Galway played the winner of Roscommon Mayo ok Grant sorry so Mayo will have to have done yeah. Roscommon and, and Galway to do it but yes, Galway yes, exactly, have to be yeah. one of them fair enough um, but if they were to do that right would Kerry really want to see them at the end of a, a group stage where they won all those three games as well I don't you know I, I'm just my yeah, no, I see what you're, see what you're, see what you're saying. Like I think it would ultimately, I think, Roscommon, best case scenario. Football for needs Roscommon, Derry, Armagh to go on a run and to feel really full of confidence and put it up to Kerry in an All Ireland quarter final and yeah. do what Down did to them in 2010. But is that not just replacing oh. Monaghan and Donegal? Except they're. You know what I mean? Like, it's like in, in some ways, like in terms of like, there's always going to be those relevant five to ten. Like there's ranked five to ten teams that are going to give you a, the game on your day. Are going to be a bit dangerous. Monaghan and Croker let us down. 
never let us down in, in Ulster. No. Uh, and who was the other team? I remember I Donegal. Donegal, like Donegal also. has gone for most of the year now as well. Yeah. And, you know, they're yeah. going to struggle. No, but Donegal let us down in Croker as well, except when they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly didn't one time. Right. Uh, coming up on Off the Ball across the weekend, Ashton O'Reilly obviously is going to have live updates from Italy against Ireland in the Six Nations. David Connolly joins Dan McDonald, Johnny Ward, and John Duggan on Football Saturday. Brian Kerr and Stephen Doyle will have live and exclusive commentary from Spurs against Chelsea in the Premier League on Sunday afternoon. Splunk is up next. Chin Chin Slon.